0: Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, uh, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Maybe you know someone like this. They walk into a room that is packed full of people. They perhaps are well known in the community, they have some measure of standing, and so when they walk in, people notice that they have arrived, and certain folks come up to them right away, they want to make it a point to say hello to this person that has come into the room, but that person, yes, they'll exchange a polite hello, but they are distracted, They are looking beyond the person who has come to say hello. Perhaps they are looking for someone who said that they would meet them there. Or perhaps they are looking for someone more important. Maybe someone who has a little bit more standing or more power than the person who has come to say hello. Do you know what I mean? They'll look beyond you. They'll lose focus. They will, they'll stop making eye contact as they scan the crowd. They'll even stop listening. Sometimes they'll just walk away while you're in mid-sentence to go say hello to the person who it is in their best interest to say Hello to. It's like they can walk into a room and they have this antenna that immediately creates a cast system and finds the most powerful, finds the most important, and they say to themselves, those are the ones I need to say hello to. If you're on the other end of that handshake, if you're the one who is looked beyond, you might think, well, I guess I'm not that important. Or I guess I... Don't have the right standing or the right power for this person to give me a little bit of their time. Do you know someone like that? Have you seen somebody like that work a room? I want you to keep that person in your mind. I'll come back to them later on in the sermon. For now, I'd invite us to remember that we are in the midst of a sermon series entitled, Where God Stands. Our reflections have been at play in a profound mystery of our faith. On one hand, the scriptures tell us that God is everywhere at all times. The formal way we categorize this is under the heading of the doctrine of omnipresence. There is not one place in all of creation where God is not present. And yet at the same time, the scriptures reflect to us that That God has a preferential option to stand with certain people. That God has a preference to stand with the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the orphan, the child, the stranger, and with those who suffer. And so during the season of Lent, when we're called to turn and to repent, that we're called to turn back toward God, we would do well to ask, well, where is God Where does God stand so we know where we are turning as a spiritual discipline throughout this holy season? And so today we reflect on the conviction that God stands with widows and orphans, and thus we are called to turn toward God as God stands with those people. In James 1, uh, 27, we heard read, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, to be clear, the moral vision and moral wisdom of this particular text is not unique to James. It is not unique to the New Testament writers. It's not unique to the Christian community. The care for orphans and widows as that pure religion that God accepts has its root in the Torah. It has its root in the ethical life of the people of Israel. The psalm that Kwesi read for us this morning elevates that fact, calling God the father of orphans and the protector. Of widows. And because of God's special relationship with widows and orphans, we find a consistent and repetitive and ubiquitous call in the scriptures for the people of God, for the followers of Jesus Christ, to become guardians of those who are orphaned and to become protectors of. Widows from Deuteronomy to Jeremiah to Isaiah, we hear this call again and again and again. Even in the book of Job, we see this call associated with the ethical religious life. You know that story about Job where he he sort of puts God on trial, defending his own righteousness as to the reason why great suffering should not have come to him. And part of that defense, this defense of pure religion, he says to God, because I delivered the poor who cried and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the wretched came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Job's righteousness, as he puts God on trial, Job's righteousness is linked to his care of widows and orphans. I think at this juncture we would do well to ask, well, what was the plight of the widow and the orphan in biblical times that it seems every writer in the scriptures, every author that we have mentions something about widows and orphans. Every chapter, every book we turn to, it's almost like every writer says something about the care of widows and orphans. What was it about their plight that made this such a moral concern? For the people of God? And in answering that, we first must note that patriarchy was the order of the day. Patriarchy was the order of the day. And so, for the widow to have one's husband die, or for the orphan to have one's father die, that was a social and economic calamity. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, put it like this. He said, In a society organized according to patriarchal power, widows and orphans characteristically had no social entitlements of their own. They were dependent upon male patrons to protect them and to represent their interests in a male-ordered, male-dominated society. He goes on to talk about the social requirement that's commanded of of Israel to care for the widow and the orphan, and he wants to link it theologically. This is not just some humanistic view. There is a theological reason that we are called to tend to the welfare of orphans and, and widows. It's because God is the father of orphans, says the psalmist. That God is the protector of the widow. Brueggemann says the practical outcome is that the social community of the covenant, we could insert the church. The church as a neighborly network seeks to sustain people who cannot sustain themselves. So I think at this point it's important to note both the the, the specifics of this conviction and and what it means for us and our faith and our life together, but but also to note its general concerns. And specifically, we must say that God stands with the literal orphan and the literal widow. God is on their side. For orphans and widows, within the sound of my voice, God stands with you. And that is where the church must stand. But there is a general application here as well. And perhaps it's best phrased like this, that God stands with all who are vulnerable. God stands with all who are vulnerable. And vulnerability has everything to do with power, or better said, has everything to do with who has the power and who does not. The Judeo-Christian biblical ethic is to take care of the vulnerable and the powerless. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into our New Testament text this morning from James. Specifically, this line of instruction. And maybe you remember it when Katie read it, that the way it's put in English is that we should visit, did you hear that, quote-unquote, visit the orphan and visit the widow, that we should visit the powerless, that we should visit the vulnerable. Unfortunately, the word visit does not do the Greek word here much justice. The word is actually a combination of two Greek words. Epi is the first word, which means on or upon. And the second word is skopos, where we get the word scope. And skopos meant a lot of different things. In one instance, it could mean to look carefully upon or to consider. It's it's not just... It's not just a notice. It's actually seeing something, considering something, being mindful of something. It also, in other instances, can refer to a watchman. To to somebody who has been charged with keeping the lookout of the castle or of an area, of a military post that they are charged to keep watch. And so our instruction in James is not just about a visit but it's about consideration. It's about keeping watch for. It means to be on the lookout for the widow and the orphan. It means to pay attention to the vulnerable and the powerless and to act for their welfare. So I want to go back to this person I introduced you to at the beginning of this sermon. And I want you to think of them as a metaphor for faith, perhaps a metaphor for life. They, they, they come into a room that's packed with people, and they're constantly on the lookout. They're constantly considering in their own mind who has the power. Who is important? They're looking to connect, to stand under the shadow of these. Who is it in their best interest for them to say hello to? The metaphor continues for the friend of God and as, the follow, and as followers of Jesus Christ, rather. When we walk into a room, we are on the lookout for the vulnerable. We're on the lookout for the powerless. And let me be very clear about this. Every room, whether it's on the streets of Cuba, in Port-au-Prince, or on Peachtree in Buckhead, every room, every space has a power dynamic at play. There are those in the room who are powerful, and there are those in the room who are vulnerable. Friends, the world teaches us to enter the rooms of our existence, the rooms of our lives, and ask who is important. That's what the world teaches us to find out who is powerful and go there. What Christ teaches us is to ask a different set of questions. Who is vulnerable in this space? Who is powerless in this community? And how might I tend to their welfare? Back in uh, December of 2014, a, a landmark restaurant in our city experienced a significant fire It's a popular place for for business meetings and to connect with family and friends, and it was clear after the fire that the remediation and renovation work of this particular establishment would take some time. And I was part of a group because I like to meet at this restaurant. I like to connect with people at this restaurant. It's near my boys' school. It's convenient for me. I was one of the voices that said, well, what am I going to do now? I can't go to the convenient place and get the breakfast I want to I get. I'm going to have to go look somewhere else that maybe two, is two more minutes away. You know, there were people I actually heard talk about and lament the fact that it was an inconvenience to them that their restaurant had closed for these repairs. While some lamented that inconvenience, a father and his adult son, who are actually members of our congregation, they had something else in mind. They asked a different set of questions. They didn't say, well, where is it now that we're going to eat? They asked questions about the workers. What about the waiters and waitresses? What about the hosts and the hostesses, the busboys, the dishwashers? The chefs, the cooks, the cleaners, they're gonna be out of work, dependent in many ways on those tips. They, They have bills to pay, they have tuitions to pay, they have mouths to feed. What's going to happen to them? And those questions prompted them to launch an online campaign to help those vulnerable workers raising $60,000 $60, rather, for the employees of this restaurant while it took 10 months for it to reopen. They were motivated and concerned. They were on the lookout, not for themselves, but for the vulnerable and for the powerless. You see, what we're talking about here is worldview. What we're talking about here is moral vision who are we looking out for who are we paying attention to i think of one of our members who is a pilot and and flies angel flights he transports patients to medical facilities and hospitals to for them to get the the medical care that they so desperately need but couldn't afford the transportation to get there and and at this person's own cost, in their own time, transports these patients so that they can get the care they need. I think of two members of our church, two professional women who have supported the work to rescue girls and women from human trafficking right here in Atlanta. I think of members of our church at every service throughout the morning. There are various members who play this role that when they come into the sanctuary, they have antenna that goes up. They're not looking for the most powerful. They're not looking for the ones who are important. They're looking for people who are sitting by themselves. And so during the greeting time, they make it a point to go over and say, good morning and welcome them to worship. I think of the folks in the Samaritan Counseling Center teaming up with our community ministries to serve and advocate for people living with mental illness Talk about a vulnerable population in our city, those living with mental illness. Friends, this is a worldview. This is how we see the world as Christians. This is a moral vision. We keep watch for the welfare of the vulnerable and the powerless, and they are in every sphere of our lives in our work, in our schools, in our city, in our own families, in our church. We don't ask what the world asks, who are the most important. We ask who are the vulnerable and the powerless, and we keep watch. We're on the lookout for these and seek their good and their welfare and their protection. This past December, I traveled to Haiti with members of First Pres to share in ministry with our longtime partners on the island of Laganav. On the first night when we fly in, we have to spend a night in a hotel in Port-au-Prince before we take a puddle jumper to the island the next day. And I was hanging out in the lobby, I was sort of checking in, and I noticed a little boy sitting next to a woman, very still, very quiet. And the best way I can describe my disposition toward them is that I noticed them, but I really didn't see them. Does that make sense? I noticed them, but I really didn't see them. We checked in, we went out to the patio as a team, and we met a man by the name of Zagunde. And Zagunde works for ChildSpring International. ChildSpring is a nonprofit that operates here on our campus, rent-free. Their mission is to provide life-changing surgeries for children in developing countries. And those surgeries can take place in their own countries. They can take place in a neighboring country. Sometimes they'll be flown here, and those surgeries and those procedures will take place in the U.S. It was founded in 2001 by our church members, and since that time, ChildSpring has served over 3,200 children. Zagunde was sharing a story with our team about a little boy. He was young, elementary school aged. He came from a far away village. It was a great hardship for him to come to Port-au-Prince to have this surgery. And he was sharing about how successful the surgery was But as he was recovering, and it was going to be three months that he had to stay in Port-au-Prince, that his mother actually left in the middle of the night. She just got up and left, left him there. I can't imagine the emotion and the pain that a mother experiences to come to that conclusion. I just can't fathom it. It's heartbreaking for both the boy and his mother. So someone in our group asked, well, well, what happened to the boy? And Zagunde said in the most matter-of-fact sort of way, a way that said you should know what happened. He said, I'm his guardian now. I've taken him in. He then said, do you want to meet him? We said, sure. And so he went back into the hotel. He came out onto the patio, and sure enough, It was that little boy that I had noticed but had not seen. And it was a moment of deep conviction for me as I thought about Zagunde and I thought about his worthiness to bear the name Christian and I thought about the ways in which I want to be more attentive. That I don't want to just enter a room and sort of pass people by that I want to be on the lookout with those metaphorical binoculars, that metaphorical scope, looking out for the ones who God looks out for, the vulnerable and the powerless. I'm going to do the last part of this sermon right next to this painting. Uh, As some of you know, Uh, we've had the wonderful opportunity to engage the work of Juan Manuel Vasquez Iglesias, who is a Cuban artist. We have an exhibition of his work in our reception room. I'd encourage you during the fellowship time to go over and to see some of his work. It it has helped us tell this Lenten story, tell this story about where God stands uh, in a deeper and more rich way. And And I realize that not everybody can see this up close, but, but there are little booklets in your pews that have this piece of art for this week if you find them in those little pockets. But you can see it up close following worship. This uh, piece is called Feeding My Children. And when we were selecting art that would be used to accompany each sermon throughout this Lenten season from Vasquez's exhibit, we looked at this right away and said, widows, and orphans. Widows and orphans. Uh, Two things to note. One is this fish. I learned from one of our members, Guillermo, who's the nephew of the artist. He was explaining to a group that gathered the other night that that this really is a subversive insertion within this piece. Even though Cuba is an island, uh, and you think, well, everybody must eat fish all the time. Fish is reserved for the wealthy, and the powerful, and of course, tourists. If you're a day laborer, if you are a peasant farmer, if you are an urban worker, you never eat fish. And so, for this little child to hold this piece of fi- this this fish rather, is to say something about hope. But it's also to say something critical about the way things are in Cuba. That this child does not have access to... To something that we would think is so readily available for them living on an island. The other thing you will note as you come closer to the piece is is their eyes. All three are looking in different directions. When I first saw it, Psalm 121 came to my mind. I turned my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. From where will my help come? I imagine them turning their eyes to the hills, looking for their help. If you know the rest of that verse, you know it goes something like this. My help comes from the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And church, I want us to remember, especially as remember where God stands, that our God is a God of incarnation. Our God is a God that works through God's people. And so in every room of your life, every room of your life, there is someone looking with this gaze. There is someone looking for help. And they want to believe, they want to believe that God is their help. And it is our call, our responsibility to look upon them, not just to notice that they're there, but to actually look in such a way as to consider their vulnerability, their powerlessness, and to act for their welfare. Every room of our lives has people who are powerless. Do not pass them by. Friends, we stand where God stands. May we continue to look and see and consider and work For the welfare of the widow and the orphan, of the powerless and the vulnerable. Amen. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. people crazy